heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Welcome to Locked On Eagles, your daily source for the best Philadelphia Eagles news and analysis. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at Breaking Football, and you can find me on Twitter at Michael J. Kist. That's K-I-S-T. I'm here with my co-host, as always, Benjamin Solak of Bleeding Green Nation and Pro Football Spot. You can follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? I'm doing very well, my friend. Uh, Not Pro Football Spot anymore, though, I'm afraid. It's a new location for all the draft coverage. That's right. Let it, let the people know uh, the the big the big announcement. And yeah, no, uh, I feel very fortunate, very blessed. Um, I've accepted a position as a national scout uh, with NDT Scouting, and so I'll be working with those guys over there. They've been doing awesome work. You know, I've had the opportunity to learn from those guys for a while, and now the opportunity to work with them and and produce content with them and uh, get get to use some of their resources and learn from them. I mean. I just feel very blessed. I'm excited to do that work. But either way, got to change that intro, man. <laughs> yeah, congratulations, Ben. I will have to change that. So look forward to his work at NDT Scouting. They do a lot of great work over there. I'm a big fan. Um, and what we're going to do today, we have a special guest, the brilliant Matt Waldman, a special guest of ours. He's the creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio to talk about some of the offensive skills players for the Eagles and what to look forward from them coming into this year. We are here with our special guest, Matt Waldman, a man I consider to be in the upper echelon of draft Twitter and beyond, the writer of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which I have purchased for several years straight now. Matt, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. It's, I'm glad to be on. It's going to be fun to talk a little ball with you guys, a little Eagles talk. Looking forward to it, man. Let our listeners know where they can find all of your work. Yeah, um, I'm available at... Um, my blog, The Rookie Scouting Portfolio, which is www.mattwaldmanrsp.com. And I'm also a staff writer at footballguys.com. So that, you, you know, I kind of bridge the, the realm between fantasy and reality. So you get you get a little more reality in my RSP and on Twitter at Matt Waldman. And you get more of the fantasy stuff at footballguys.com, which is just an incredible collection of writers at, at that website for fantasy. Excellent. Excellent. Check that out, everybody. Now, we wanted to talk with you today about the offensive skill position players for the Eagles. Ben, go ahead and kick it off with the first question, if you would. Well, thank you, Mike. That's very kind of you. And thank you, Matt, for coming on the show. We're very appreciative to have you. I've spent more than a few hours in RSP film room, so thank you so much for dropping by. <laughs> hey, man, it's my pleasure. It's a thrill. And to be, before I even go forward, i got to say the Eagles are kind of a special place in my heart because the reason I started the RSP was that I was a big Brian Westbrook fan in college and it inspired it was actually some takes about him that inspired me to do start doing this book and writing about rookie prospects and delving more into it so I'm I'm always been a big BW fan and it's nice to be able to do some Eagle stuff I don't think you're allowed to be an Eagle fan without being a big Brian Westbrook fan it's one of the calling cards man like Dawkins Westbrook those are the people that you just had to you know like believe in them about past anything so glad to hear it we're actually sticking with running backs to start there was an RSP film room you did on Donnell Pumphrey, which I think unfortunately had no audio or something yeah. like that. Yeah. But uh, we wanted to kind of ask you a little bit because you're such a film heavy guy with the rookie scouting portfolio and everything. We're talking about, you know, bringing Pumphrey in here. The Eagles obviously drafted him in the fourth round, moved up to get him. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about him kind of taking Sproles' role. You know, as Sproles gets a little bit older, probably he's going to have to move on after this season. Talking about how does the size of a player impact your evaluation of him? I haven't seen you rely too much on analytics during your work. And I was wondering when you were evaluating Pumphrey and when you evaluate Sproles, how much does their diminutive size affect your view of them? 
Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people sell the analytic end and they put it right up front and center and it's kind of like, it's like the icing on their cake. Whereas I think what people don't realize about what I do is that the analytics are a little bit more inside the batter of the cake rather than on, rather than the icing because a lot of my process is really based on, um, you know, quality analytics and type of work that I've done to develop a, a set of questions and a set of requirements that take material that a lot of people say is subjective and make it more objective. Um, so it doesn't mean that, you know, everything that I'm going to look at is fact. It's a tough thing. It's a very tough thing. It's nothing remotely like that. But I'm, but what often I do is I don't really talk, I don't tend to talk in generalizations and I try to avoid correlation equals causation arguments, which is sometimes rife in the analytics world with not necessarily analytics by teams or analytics by specialists who are hired by the NFL, but sometimes by commercial analysts who do analytics. And some of them do great work, so I'm not trying to bag on them because a lot of them do great work. But, you know, when you look at size and dimensions, you got to think about the running back position and understand that the running back position, when we look at combine scores and we look at all of these different types of workouts that they do, Name a position that has a wider range of height and weight for a, than, than running back. You've got Darren Sproles, and then you've got Brandon Jacobs or Derrick Henry or Craig Ironhead A. Hayward, if we want to go back that to Nikoya. You're basically talking about applying the same analytic standards, if you're not doing it correctly, to a running back that spans a position span of, oh, defensive end to cornerback, including <laughs> safety and linebacker in between, that you're talking about different styles of players and how they work out. So if you're going to say, well, his 40 time wasn't good enough, they all went after, you know, Dalvin Cook this, you know, this offseason and just were freaking out about that. But if you look at his style of play, you would realize that that's really not that big of a problem. Ahmad Bradshaw didn't have a problem, and he had some issues with some of his combine scores where the people over emphasize certain ones that they shouldn't have Devonta Freeman and Joseph Adai were others that had some of those knocks so they turned out okay so I mean you got to look at that in some sort of context when you look at Donnell's um Donnell Pumphrey one of the things that I for me that was important more than anything was there are still limits with what they can do I mean there's a certain point where you got to say can they ride the ride you know are they tall enough big enough to do that when you looked at Darren Sproles the the thing about that film room that was so great is with my buddy Eric Stoner, who's just an excellent football mind, and I know that he won't like me saying this, but he doesn't really do a lot of work anymore. But I was told by somebody in the NFL that if he wanted to go back and decide that he was going to make this something he really wanted to do, that he'd have a job in the league. Um, so Eric knows his stuff, and, and Eric wanted to watch Pumphrey because he felt like what Pumphrey did well is where people often miss on the comparisons to Darren Sproles. And what he did well is how he runs gap-style plays. You know, NFL-style eye formation, run power, run trap, you know, understanding how to set that up, how to do it, and, and hit those creases at the right time and show the patience to do it. And so from a standpoint of vision and understanding conceptually how to run those plays he does it extremely well and he did it over and over again against stack fronts and you know and was able to be efficient with it the thing is is 
we both looked at it and said, you know what? He looks great at San Diego State doing this. But let's look at Darren Sproles again, back at KSU, and look at what he did. And when you watch Darren Sproles, the thing is that makes him unique is his ability to really run with great balance, that kind of Marshawn Lynch type of displacement of your legs where if you get hit in one leg really hard, he's able to kind of make that adjustment while his legs are still in the air to come down at a spot where he still maintains his balance and continues moving forward. And you don't see that quite with Pumphrey. Pumphrey has the balance to spin off a hit and fall forward. He has to, you know, but he's not going to, get under you and, and and really plow forward and have that great low center of gravity. So he's more of a space player who understands conceptually to run like Sproles, but he doesn't run with the toughness or balance or power that Sproles has to surprise people. And I've been, you know, I, I've been perversely wishing for a decade now that he would get that chance that Warwick Dunn had under Dan Reeves several years ago to just have one season as a starter, just for fun to see what he did. And I'm kind of like wishing that the Eagles, you know, I don't want to wish bad on the Eagles, but that they were desperate enough that they had to put him in and say, okay, look, it's your last year. Just give it all you have this one year. And everybody looked back on that and go, why didn't somebody have the guts to do that? I mean, if you see yes. the Eagles timeline talking about our running backs, we, we might be there because right now people are desperate for guys like Corey Clement to uh, to take over the role. And like Garrett Blunt, outside of red zone running, I don't think can be trusted. So we, we might get to that point with the way we use uh, Pumphrey. Yeah. And when, you know, to continue on on the, the original question that Michael asked is, is or I mean, Ben asked, is that Pumphrey, even at the Senior Bowl, they really didn't. He just got overwhelmed at the point of attack as a blocker. And there's a certain point where if you don't have the strength in your legs and hips to really dig in there and deliver with some level of leverage and balance as a pass protector or even to get your pads under a guy and drive, you're just not going to be an every down guy. And I don't think they were looking for that, but they were looking for some of that Sproles type of thing. And we're not going to see another Darren Sproles for a long time. And in the same way that Darren's, before Darren Sproles, we'd say we're not going to see Warwick Dunn for a long time or James Brooks for a long time. You know, they're, they they come around every 10 to 15 years. And every year we talk about certain things that are reminiscent of that. But he's a space player. And, and maybe he'll be a better version of what Ronnie Hillman was supposed to be for the Broncos. Maybe he'll get a chance to do some of that. Maybe he'll give you a little bit of what Reggie Bush can give. He maybe can give you what Eric Metcalf, used to give the Browns and the Falcons as kind of a slot receiver who can do some of the things that you'd like to see, you know, Christian McCaffrey eventually do, you know, working on ghosts from the slot and they ghost them around edge and let them run sweeps, some draw plays, those types of things. But every down back material or like a guy that, you know, you look at and go, you know, he gets the ball and just forget about it. Because, I mean, you, you saw last year, you saw Sproles, go up the sideline a couple plays and his teammates are basically signaling touchdown like from the 35 yard line because they know from experience that there's nothing no way and Pumphrey's not that kind of player a ton of information there wonderful stuff I love the point you're making about Pumphrey's vision and how like that that his ability to run gap was really unique for him because definitely I thought that stood out on his tape as well and it's it's fun to see Eagles Twitter massively overreact to you know Pumphrey not having the greatest of of preseasons when a lot of the way that he's currently being used is not uh, usage to which he's used to and it's uh, not usage that he's going to have during the regular season 
but either way, it's going to be interesting to see how he, yeah. he he comes out as a prospect over the years. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things that you're going to have to tame expectations on him, but he will be able to give you some work between the tackles. But it and the Eagles, you know, I mean, they've had a fine offensive line, so it's one of those things where you're going to see some success. Uh, over the course of time with that but guys tend to overthink when they're rookies it's just natural that you're you're learning new things and you're stretching and you know you could be a great at grammar for instance you'd be great at english grammar be a great terrific writer on the constructs of sentences and essays and paragraphs now you got to write essay on a very difficult piece of work and you're thinking about what the theme is that you're going to be writing about and you're you're trying so hard to kind of wrap your head around a complex idea that you end up making some grammatical expa- um, mistakes. Does that make you bad at grammar because you did that, or does it make it that you were simply you know stretching yourself on a level? Samaj P. Ryan is a perfect example in your division of a guy who everyone was overreacting to because he dropped a couple of footballs when he wasn't a huge fumbler at at OU he was on the borderline for me between in my analytics between starter and and committee player but he rounded up to starter because it was that close and also pass pro he had a few dings here and there in terms of one-on-ones with players but you're going to expect and they said he was overthinking well you watch him against the Packers and he looked like the same old cast iron pan that was like melting defenders like butter when they hit him (laughs) you know last night so I, I think that Pumphrey will come into his own but it may take a year yeah, that grammar example is uh, how I felt doing my first report for the Scouting Academy. A lot, <laughs> a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Dan does great work there. It's a, I hear you. So it's a good. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great place, and I'll I'll give them a, a nice little push. I haven't done anything with them, but I would definitely. I, there's some great folks who come out of there, and Dan does fantastic work. Absolutely, absolutely. Ben, hit our man Matt with the next question. And now, insurance-minded speeches from Geico. Hardship. My grandmother would go through it every month to pay her insurance bill. First, she would handwrite a paper check, in cursive. Then, using her own tongue, she would wet a stamp for an envelope. Today, however, we need not weary our hands and tongues. Today, we can pay our GEICO bill with the GEICO app. Away with hardship, in with bill pay on the GEICO app. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, if there's a debate in which uh, Eagles Twitter is more interested than the running backs, it's uh, maybe it's the wide receivers and Jordan Matthews, but Wentz definitely takes the cake. And we're just curious, coming from a guy who's watched a slew of quarterbacks over the years, there's this big debate about whether or not Wentz is going to take a step forward in his second year, uh, where his deficiencies are, whether or not those deficiencies are something on which he can improve over time. And so looking at Wentz's first year, you know, what did you just think generally? And then as far as uh, moving forward, do you think there's a chance that he does you know, kind of blossom and continue to, to, to improve over the next few years? I think the short, answer, the short answer to the question is yes, I think that he's going to um, – take a step forward but you know to go back and kind of give a little bit more detail with that it's it's, it's kind of goes into how I look at quarterback play and as I've been doing this for about 13 years it's evolved to the point where I guess a simple way of saying it is that quarterback to me is something that has really three big components to it and one of the components that's most popular is kind of the academic technical um, you know, can you absorb the playbook fast? Um, do you remember the play calls? Do you have good technique in terms of your drops, your setups, your footwork, and your ability to deliver the ball with a good, um, you know, with a good process? And, you know, that's something that NFL teams tend to talk about a lot. Media talks about a lot and says that makes a good quarterback. You got to have those things. 
All right. So then the next thing is the athletic component, which is, you know, arm strength, the ability, you know, maneuverability, mobility, how great your legs are in terms of being able to break the pocket or if you're big and strong and able to shake off defenders and take punishment. Um, so you've got that athletic angle as well. That can also be overemphasized sometimes um, in, in media and in scouting um, because these are known things that you can measure. And then there's the final one, which to me is the emotional leadership in, in you know, um, intuitive component to quarterback play, the emotional intelligence. And that's the ability to take the athletic and the technical and the academic and process it in an instant when you're on the field, when everything's going down around you, and to be able to, you know, create in situations and think quickly with things that you've never seen before. You know, when a defense throws a hybrid look at you where half the field's man and the other half is zone, and they switch that up pre-snap to post-snap and make it opposite, and you haven't seen that when you came from big school tech, you know, and now you're in the NFL, you know, you're you're expected to figure out how to do that and not be stymied by it for, you know, four quarters long. That's why a guy like Russell Wilson can have a horrific game against the Packers and in the NFC Championship game, and then in the final eight minutes, suddenly look fantastic and deliver the game winner and believe in himself to do it. And even if his teammates may bicker about him, he's still a guy that believes he can win and is and has taken them to two Super Bowls in his first, what, four years now in the league? And I, I still joke around that Cam Newton, they should have a commercial with Cam Newton um, you know, after the year after his Super Bowl appearance where he's training and Russell Wilson sitting on his shoulder going, I'm just right behind you. I'm right behind you. Because <laughs> in that game where they were up, what, 20-nothing, 27-nothing? I mean, Russell Wilson was unconscious. So when you look at guys like Wilson or a Brett Favre or a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, they have an emotional ability to, to really just process information fast, know when to take risks, know when to be aggressive, not get too down when they're playing horrifically. They don't get into a shell. Their technique doesn't fall apart. They're able to continue to play, and they inspire their teammates, whether their teammates like them or not personally. They inspire them to actually do their job and believe that this guy, whether I'd have him over for dinner at my house or whether I'd want to spend any time with him or not, I know this guy's going to get it done for me, and I'm glad I'm playing with him. And I think that that's the type of thing that – Teams don't know how to measure that on a consistent basis. It's a tough thing to be able to measure. So what they hope is, well, if we do the academic and technical and we get a guy who can do the all, the athletic and, all, and the academic part, the experience he gets will make him more emotionally intelligent with what he does. Well, you know, Pat Mahomes to me is a very good emotionally intelligent quarterback with great athletic ability who may not technically be as sound as people want him to be but i'd take him in a heartbeat over a lot of guys who don't who because you can teach the academic technical that's you know as long as it's not so out of bounds like say tim tebow's technical flaws that were so out of bounds that he couldn't really overcome them because there's a point in performance where if you are that sloppy on a certain area that it's already stuck it's already ingrained in you or you have to be brett Favre special where like brett Favre like could throw the ball bring it down to his kneecap at, at age 40 and still beat a defender knowing that that was going to happen there's only like one of those guys every 20 years so looking at that and looking at the at wentz for me wentz obviously hits the athletic component terrific runner 
I liked his ability to run, the ability to maneuver in the pocket. He was strong. He didn't obviously wasn't scared in the pocket. Um, had the arm that you're looking for. So you know, technically, I thought you know he had some improvement to make. Dub Maddox, who's an excellent coach that many people have never heard of, but who you will hear about someday in the NCAA when head coaches aren't afraid that when they hire him as their offensive coordinator, that he's not going to wind up taking them taking their jobs. Um, but he's on the circuit right now, you know, doing a lot of lecturing. And he did a great profile of Wentz's footwork to show where his inaccuracy is. It's not in the arm, it's in the feet. And so that's something he's going to have to clean up. But those are things that you the, – the footwork is easier to fix than the arm stuff. So the fact that that's the issue isn't a big deal. He's always had some inconsistencies as a deep ball thrower. The fact that they add Alshon Jeffrey tells me they know that. They know that the best way to erase that isn't to try and make him become a pinpoint deep passer, but to find a guy who can erase those minor inaccuracies and let him win the ball in the air. So great move on their part. Another great move is Torrey Smith. Well, let's get a fast guy who maybe Wentz can't out overthrow. So that as a result of that, um, you know, and who also can go up and win the ball a little bit. He did that well. When he was, I believe it, it was either Maryland and Maryland, I believe. Um, and so you've got two guys like that. Um, but the thing that I liked about him and that I think that ultimately has a yes for me is the emotional uh, thing. Um, he's a, He was always a tough player who that when he made a mistake in a game, even in big moments at North Dakota State, he, uh, he fixed that mistake on the next drive. He saw what the defense was trying to do to him, and he figured it out. And he was able to, when he made a mistake, he he didn't try to do the same dumb thing again, or he realized what he needed to do, and he wasn't too cautious with it. So, you know, maybe processing, reading the field, he's going to have some issues on occasion. He's still going to do some things that you not like. But I also think that he's shown enough growth that within a year or two of continued growth and development, he'll recognize more things to take a step. I don't know if he's ever going to be the elite quarterback you want, but I think that he'll be good enough that with a strong team around him, you guys will be happy with the result. Something that me and Ben were talking about last week after the first preseason game was we were impressed with how quickly and how smooth once his feet looked uh, setting up with his three-step, his five-step drops because last year there was a little bit of clunkiness to that. Even in college, his feet tended to get stuck in mud and whatnot. So, And I think that's where some of the accuracy issues do come and your feet aren't ready to throw. And you got to wing it in there with all arm, and, and things can go haywire with that. So ho- hopefully he makes that next step this year. And I agree with the points about Alshon. You know, he's never going to be a pinpoint deep ball passer. So get a guy with a crazy catching radius to go grab it for you. Last topic we wanted to hit on with you, Matt. There were a lot of people that loved Nelson Aguilar coming out in the draft, including myself. What did you like or dislike about Aguilar as you watched him pre-draft? And do you think there's a skill set to work with that could lead to a rebound year? Yeah, I mean, I think there is. I liked Nelson Aguilar as well. And I thought he was an ultra quick guy with excellent burst off the line of scrimmage. Um, I thought he had a good second game gear into his routes and he had that start stop explosiveness that you're looking for to become a good route runner he could make the sudden turns he knew how to use his quickness and pacing and then different head fakes to tell a story in route running and i thought that he also showed some preliminary skill at reading the defense and understanding when to adjust his routes based on blitzes and coverage changes at usc um and he even worked back to the quarterback well i thought that he had a good rapport with his quarterback and understood how to communicate well with them 
that a lot of receivers don't always show. Um, I thought he attacked the ball well to the target. He knew how to extend his arms and make catches. He had some release moves that were good. I just felt like, you know, the things that I thought he needed to work on were to be more aggressive as a blocker. Um, you know, he had to be someone that had to get a little bit more physical and technically sound because he's a thinner guy, so he's never going to, you know, bully defenders as a, as a blocker, but he's going to have to be really strong with technique. I didn't think he was a success, really a consistent tackle breaker or power guy, but you're not looking for that with him. You're looking for him to kind of man the slot or the outside in, a, in more of a precision-oriented pass-catching role where you get him into open field yards after the catch. Um, and I, I think that for him, sometimes he had some concentration drops. And you know, and that was something you, that we saw that in abundance over the first couple of years as an Eagle. And I think that when you look at, you, we have to understand with players that these are, you know, guys in their early 20s. And, you know, I, as a guy who's, you know, probably twice that age now, I, I remember my early 20s and, you know, I always joke around that, you know, if you're in your early 20s, you think it's kind of like those old war movies where you feel like you're going off to school or your first job and you're like, I can't wait to get out of my parents' house and live live this life to the fullest and experience things and I'm ready to be the hero in my own life. And then you get to the front and everybody there is about your age, maybe a little older, and they're all like, yeah, yeah, you look all like you can't wait for this. Wait till you get some of this. <laughs> and then the bombs start going off and you know, all the you know all the crazy things start happening and you uh, look around and you're like, I'm really confused with what's going on. And I think <laughs> Al Galore went through some of that. Yeah. And and I'm being nice about that obviously. You guys know more, you know, from the headlines there and that can really take away from your game. That can take away from your ability to concentrate and to do the things you're supposed to be doing and be a big distracting force in your life. And it can show up with simple things like catching the football and overthinking things because you're worried about what do my parents think about what happened here? What, do, what does my girlfriend think about what's going on here? Am I gonna? What am I gonna deal with in the parking lot when I come out of practice? Mm. What is the media gonna ask me about that I have to pretend that it doesn't really bother me? So. Hopefully he's gotten past enough of this stuff and has learned also that ultimately if I stay want to stay in this game, I really can't care, and he'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, great points. Look, look, it was an absolute pleasure having you with us today. For our listeners, if you've never seen the Rookie Scouting Portfolio or you've not been living under a rock and you don't know who Matt is, buy his latest draft guide. There are, there are guys that you'll see a lot of people in this field that do this type of work. And with a lot of people, you might just get some guys that look at three or four games on draft breakdown and throw up a few paragraphs and try to, and give your analysis and whatnot. I've gone through the notes that Matt takes on these prospects. He makes notes of everything. He is looking for everything from these prospects. The level of detail that you get in these portfolios is absolutely amazing. You won't find it anywhere else. I can guarantee you that. So, Matt... Thank you for joining us. And one more time, let everybody know where they can find your work, please. Sure. And thanks a lot. You can find me at Matt Waldman, W-A-L-D-M-A-N-R-S-P.com. And that's the that's the website. You'll find a lot of sample work with my YouTube film room 
videos and you can subscribe to the RSP Film Room. That's the name of the channel and and check out a lot of free work where I have guests on and we're going to have to get you guys on as well to watch some film together, obviously. So it should be, should be good times and you'll find a lot of guests, including some players. Jamal Williams was a guest of mine this past year. Saw that. And we, we watched some of his tape. So um, we spent an hour and they came to me, which was kind of cool. I, <laughs> you know, I, I was surprised by that, but his... His um his uncle trains him, and he came up to me at the senior bowl and was like, "I was told to come see you because um we'd like to do some film stuff together." I was like, "That's fantastic!" <laughs> so, so yeah, check it out. It'll be fun, you know. And hopefully, you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much, Matt. Have a great one. Okay. Thank you, fellas. Yeah, Matt. You too. All right, and we're back, Ben. Matt was amazing. Love talking with him. And I know there was something that you brought to my attention before that kind of correlated with, with something that Matt was talking about with the emotional intelligence of Carson Wentz. Do you want to delve into that a little bit more? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of my coworkers at Bleeding Green Nation, Sean Cottrell, who also does work at Inside the Pylon, great football mind, great dude, ton of fun. Uh, he actually, he was standing for Carson Wentz real hard over the summer, kind of beating back all the detractors. And he was making this point about uh, Carson Wentz's emotional intelligence, uh, his resiliency, kind of his grit. And, you know, because that point isn't necessarily as quantitative, as easy to measure. And I also don't think that maybe Sean had as eloquent of words for it as Matt did. Obviously, Matt's been doing this for 13 years. You know, that's not to detract from Sean at all. But Sean actually wrote two po- two posts on Bleeding Green Nation uh, entitled Carson Wentz and the Art of Getting Back Up part one and part two, where he broke down all of Wentz's games, you know, going through the year and the way and really it was just an, an exciting read. It was just really uh, fun to see his his view on Wentz and how he's experienced Carson Wentz as this this yeoman, you know, this notes to the grindstone sort of hard worker that Wentz is so often portrayed as in the media. To hear his kind of empirical experience of that was really cool. And so, you know, if identify with that with which uh, Matt was speaking, kind of that idea of a quarterback needing to have this emotional resiliency, this this willpower, this determination. I really encourage you, Bleeding Green Nation, uh, Carson Wentz, The Art of Getting Back Up. It was a really cool piece. Go check that out get to know your quarterback. So that's all the time we have for today. Later on this week, we're going to be breaking down the Eagles versus the Miami Dolphins Thursday at 7 p.m. We'll have a preview of that. We'll also talk about some different camp battles and some different things throughout the week as well. And as always, keep it locked on here on Locked On Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. You are Locked On Eagles, your daily Philadelphia Eagles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.